Good evening, Atlanta. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. You can also get me on social media at EW Erickson, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. Uh, federal agents have seized money from Jim Beck's campaign account. This is happening now. The AJC reporting it. Uh, that federal agents, according to Jim Beck, had to do his campaign uh, disclosures, and federal agents have seized money from his campaign account to the tune of eighty thousand uh, dollars. Jim Salzer writing at the AJC: the seizure was com- uh, contained in the campaign finance report Beck filed with the State Ethics Commission. It's being contested by Jim Beck's lawyers. The feds did not close out his campaign account, uh, and he still got one hundred seventy-one thousand dollars left in the account as of June. 30th. Federal government in mid-May, you'll recall, had a 38-count indictment against Beck, accusing him of an elaborate scheme to steal $2 million from his former uh, employer, which was the Underwriting Association. Now, interestingly enough, his Underwriting Association, or his his campaign disclosure also shows that a ton of insurance companies were pouring money into his campaign coffers just days before the indictment came down. Uh, lots of insurance companies and all uh, nine members, at least, uh, of the Georgia Underwriting Association had all given him campaign dollars. None of them, it seems, knew what was coming, and the indictment came. Wonder if they'll get their cash back. Uh, But again, federal agents have seized $80,000 from the campaign account of Jim Beck. Um, Wow. Now, my suspicion is, uh, before we move on to other stuff, my suspicion is that the reason they seized $80,000 and not uh, all of it, there's still $171,000 left in there, is because my, my suspicion is that what happened is they seized money that was part of what Jim Beck loaned his campaign. They did not seize money that could be accounted to donations from individuals. Remember, Jim Beck loaned himself a lot of money, and that money is what's in contention in the federal indictment that essentially Jim Beck uh, funneled money to himself illegally as, as head of the Georgia Underwriters Association and then used that money to run for insurance commissioner. That's uh, one of the things the uh, U.S. attorney is alleging. So that has happened. Now, let's see. I'm, I'm trying to race through stories because there's so much news out there today we need to get through. One of the other stories we need to talk about, I started to talk about this yesterday. In all the, the, the hullabaloo about the Democrats out there, I, I noticed that Stacey Abrams has disappeared. She's fallen off the radar, which I find very interesting. She was everywhere, and now she's nowhere. Well, it turns out that Abrams has been out there quietly fundraising behind the scenes. Um, There is a news report out, in fact, that Stacey Abrams, her voting rights group, raised $3.9 million in six months. Again, this is the AJC reporting, James Salzer, uh, the Political Action Committee for Fair Fight Action. It's the voting rights group that Stacey Abrams started last year after she lost the race, raised $3.9 million. Now, Abrams shifted a million dollars from her campaign to the group. Remember, so when you fundraise for a political office in Georgia and you have a bunch of money left over, you cannot give yourself that money. Now, a long time ago, you used to be able to, and they had to change the law. What you do, though, is you create a nonprofit. 
And you instead of refunding the money to donors, what you can do under Georgia law, and federal law is the same way with, with federal campaign dollars, is you can take your leftover money from your campaign and you can give it to a nonprofit. So Abrams created a nonprofit and gave a million dollars from her campaign to her own nonprofit after after she dropped out. And then Fair Fight PAC, which is the political arm of this nonprofit, is raising big money nationally. Now, here's here's the interesting telling line here. Fair Fight PAC has continued to raise big money nationally. The vast majority of the group's contributions come from outside Georgia, including a million dollars from one doctor in Palo Alto, California. The Political Action Committee has $1.1 million on hand. That's the money that goes to actual hardcore politics. The nonprofit will be political, um, but they try to keep they, they try to be aloof from politics technically uh, to stay out of trouble. But that's what's happening with, in the average world. It's very funny. The story hit, and it, it came just a f- couple hours after I was on the radio. Thinking, what, what, what happened to Stacey Abrams? Well, now we know she's out there raising money for this group. She really does want to run again against Brian Kemp. I'm hearing rumors, though, that Jim Jordan wants to run for governor against uh, Brian Kemp in 2022. In fact, I, I'm hearing behind the scenes that there's a subtle fight going on with Jen Jordan wanting to help the Democrats take back the state legislature. So then she can use that in 2022 and say, I did what Stacey Abrams couldn't. I took back the state legislature. It'll be very interesting to see this dynamic. Now, Philip, my managing editor over at The Resurgent, just texted me listening to the show. He said, you know, it is worth pointing out that if Stacey Abrams had spent that million dollars in the last few weeks of the election, Maybe, just maybe, she could have gotten into the runoff against Brian Kip. Yeah, maybe so. Holding back a million dollars. Wow. Wow, wow. Okay. we got to move on to other stuff out there. I, I, I wanted to get this yesterday, and I, I'm trying to, to clear the deck, if you will, with a lot of stuff. And one of those is this piece by Jim Galloway in the Atlanta Journal. Now, for those of you, I, I'm more and more mindful these days. Uh, that we got a lot of people who listen uh, to to the show who aren't in the state. And I want to set the stage for you. If you're not a regular listener, if you are a regular listener, we need to go back to last weekend. The House Republicans in Georgia have a 15-seat majority. And they're in disarray, and we know they're in disarray because they had a terrible turnout for their House conference up at Barnsley Gardens, which I'm finally going to, thank goodness. I've been dying for a trip to Barnsley. I finally got one scheduled in any event. Um, the speaker is really turning off his caucus. And he put his foot in his mouth last weekend. He was asked questions about, or he brought up the 10 members of the state house, all of whom are Republicans, and that they have this outstanding resolution that will come back up in January calling for the speaker's ouster. And what the speaker said was that, as Zell Miller said, he quoted Zell Miller, that if there's a snake in your house, you kill it. And it was interpreted by the people in the room that Ralston was talking about ruining the 10 members of the state house who have stuck their necks on the line, shown real courage to say this guy needs to go. Now, the reason that they want Ralston to go is this scandal 
in the North Georgia judicial circuits where Ralston is a criminal defense attorney. And multiple people allegedly have paid Ralston money, and Ralston has dragged their cases out indefinitely. One of the cases is of a girl who was 13 or 14 years old who alleges that a pastor who was staying at her family home, he was a traveling pastor, that he raped her. The pastor hired Ralston. The girl is now 20, 21 years old. The case has never gone to trial because Ralston has kept the case going. Ralston changed the law that as Speaker of the House, he could basically put off cases as a lawyer. He could put off cases indefinitely. Now, he he got a panel to change the law back. But if you're a judge, are you really going to stand up to David Ralston? He was doing it before the law changed. So he dragged out the, he's dragged out multiple cases. And these members of the state legislature said Ralston needs to go. And at this conference of the House Republicans, the lowest turnout they've had in years at this conference, which is pretty telling if you ask me, Ralston says, if you got a snake in your house, kill it. Well, Jim Galloway, I, I, I'm, Jim is a smart guy. And, and I'm just, uh, Jim is basically saying that the, the correct take on this is that uh, he's going to stop conservative legislation. He's not going to stop these members. He's not going to beat these members in primaries. He's just going to stop any conservative legislation. And I just, I, I, I don't think that's true. And the reason I, I and I, I appreciate Galloway saying this, I, I think he's a smart guy and a great analyst, but I, I think this is spin from the Ralston campaign because the, the Ralston folks know it hurt him. They were expecting the line to play well, and it leaked out pretty quickly that he had said it from multiple members of the House, all of whom were upset. In fact, there were a couple people in the meeting who have refused to come forward who are now thinking they may come forward. They were really that agitated by it. So now we've got this Jim Galloway column in the AJC. Jim Galloway, of course, the, the, the at this point, I guess, the dean of the political press corps in Georgia, say he, he's probably talking about their legislation. That's how Miller, Zell Miller used the context. This is a Zell Miller line. I, I, I don't think so. And that's not how it's read. But the other thing is, and this I think has just been from the Democrats, and I find it very laughable, is Galloway writes, I asked House Minority Leader Bob Trammell whether Ralston's problems might serve as a cudgel for Democrats next November. He had his doubts the concerns over the speaker would register. Quote, voters have a way of deciding what's important for them. If I were choosing a collective danger, if I were in their caucus, I'd be worried about the rightward tilt when it comes to social policy and the negative effect that it's had in seats that are becoming increasingly competitive. I think that would be the first and foremost concern. That's Trammell's quote. In other words, Trammell's people intend to focus on the heartbeat bill. Y'all, this, this, this is spin. I can't tell you the number of Democrats I've talked to who relish getting into next year's election and using this issue against Ralston. Let me ask you a question. You're just, you guys aren't, aren't the political experts by and large listening. You're, you are voters. You are Georgia residents. Those of you who are in swingy areas, let me ask you this question. You start seeing ads with rape victims who say they can't get justice because the Republicans are protecting David Ralston. How do you think that's going to play? Do you really think the Democrats aren't going to do this? Or is this the Democrats saying, don't throw us in the briar patch, don't throw us in the briar patch? Because I'm thinking the Democrats, they actually want to be thrown in this briar patch. And, and... The fact that, that they're out there saying, oh, no, we would never use this David Ralston issue against the Republicans. When have the Democrats not used issues like this against Republicans? 
Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Now, let's go to the phones. I'm going to go to Wayne and welcome Wayne. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. I got about a minute, so go ahead. Uh, I don't really know where to go in one minute. So I was just wondering what's up with Stacy Abrams? Let me give you a brief. I retired to Arizona in 2003. I'm retiring back now, trying to get acclimated to the local politics. I don't understand Stacey Abrams. She's like a socialist fascist. So what's the infatuation? Okay, so Wayne, this is this is easy to understand. Uh, for years, the, the Democrats trying to take back the state of Georgia decided they needed to build a coalition of reasonable, moderate, pro-business types uh, to lure people who left the Democratic Party to come back. Well, Abrams decided, to heck with that, I'm going to be a radical leftist and I'm going to pay up, play up racial identity politics. And she came closer to any of these other Democrats, and she's interpreted that as she's right. And when the reality is 2018 was just a really good year for Democrats, and she still fell short doing that. But the Democrats loved the idea that in Georgia she was an unapologetic uh, left-wing activist. It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Now let's go to the phones. Uh, Pierce is calling. Welcome to the program. Hey Eric, how you doing this afternoon? Great. How are you? I'm good. I actually last November, uh, or maybe in the fall of last year, called my representative that represents the Dahlonega Lumpkin County area mm-hmm. at the state legislature, and he basically just blew me off saying that Ralston is such a powerhouse and we need to keep the Republican majority and yada, yada, yada. And I'm just getting to the point now that we kept our majority and nothing is being done about these cases. And like you, I believe you start putting rape victims and physical abuse victims up saying David Ralston will not let me see justice. Um, we're going to lose the House. We may even lose the Senate. Yeah. At, yeah, I the think Georgia so. Senate. And my thing is, why aren't there some judges that will just, like, look at him and say, you've had too many continuances. We go to trial, ready or not. Here we go. Right. Oh, I, well, I look, mean, it's time for that. Yes, it, it is time for that. The problem is that it's the Speaker <clears throat> of the House you're dealing with, and, and he can be, he's got a lot of power to even be vindictive to them. And for the longest time, of course, up until he decided, hey, we'll change the law back, um, he they couldn't. There is no way for them to force him to go to trial. And, and, you know, I've talked to a judge up there who said, you're crazy if you're going to force the Speaker of the House to go to trial when he doesn't want to go to trial. Even if you're a judge, you may be an independent branch, but guess who controls your budget? Yeah, it's, well, this is it's, corruption. It's wrong. It is. It, it is wrong. absolutely wrong. And the Republicans and, should stand up for the victims. And my thing is, I'm going to call my representative again, and I'm going to let him know in no uncertain terms. Ralston goes, or I will vote against him. Yeah. Look, I, One I, or the other. 
I think you're going to have to, and, and we got to find people in South Georgia to do the same thing. Pierce, thanks very much for the phone call. You know, I hear all the time from people that in the legislature that the Metro Atlanta folks, they kind of get it. I've been talking about it so long on the radio. They've been getting phone calls from you guys. It's people in South Georgia. They, they don't have anybody talking about this, raising awareness about it. And so the, the Republicans from South Georgia, they don't know anything about it. They, they don't hear about it from their constituents. They think it's no big deal. That's that's what we're dealing with. Now, I'll tell you something else we're dealing with, impeachment. Uh, there is new polling out on impeachment. It is highly, highly unpopular in areas like the 6th Congressional District here in Georgia. Uh, that's Lucy McBath's district. You know, Karen Handel, Brandon Beach, and several others are running for that seat. It was Karen Handel's seat. Um, the wave came. Uh, she lost. Uh, I am uh, I'm glad to help the Republicans take the seat back. Karen is a friend of mine. I'm going to have her at the resurgent gathering. Uh, and McBath is in trouble here because progressive activists want her to support impeachment. But polling shows that the voters in the 6th Congressional District are opposed to impeachment. In fact, the voters in most of the swing districts around the country are deeply opposed to it. But now there's a a new problem. The problem is a guy named Tom Steyer, who I mentioned yesterday. Tom Steyer is essentially the Sheldon Adelson of the Democratic Party. Tom Steyer writes million-dollar checks to the Democrats. He is one of their top donors. He has funded an ad campaign across the nation on impeaching the president. His other big issue is climate change. Tom Steyer is a huge, huge proponent of uh, forcing individuals to change their behavior through regulation and legislation to combat climate change. And he wants to impeach the president. And this guy has gotten into the presidential race. There are some people out there who say Tom Steyer doesn't matter. A billionaire could never get the Democratic nomination that they're they're into such class warfare. Tom Steyer's in class warfare, too, you should know. Tom Steyer is, was totally down with Elizabeth Warren's agenda, likes Bernie Sanders, but doesn't think either of them have what it takes to win at this point. So he's gotten into the race. Now, he's going to be bled dry by consultants, but Steyer could, could run a million dollars a week in advertising between now and the Iowa caucuses, and it's, it's pennies. I mean, it's navel lint to him. He could do it, and he probably will. And that's going to build pressure on people like Lucy McBath and other Democrats to try to move towards impeachment. And now you've got Justin Amash out there saying, yes, we need impeachment. I, th- I think they're wrong about this. Settle it at the ballot box. That's Even Nancy Pelosi says this. But there's a movement to impeach the president. It is building pretty dramatically, and it's got people like McBath caught in the crosshairs of Democratic progressives who are demanding she support it, and her voters who don't like the idea. It's going to be really, really, really fun to watch. By the way, speaking of climate change, i got to read this for you real quick. This is hilarious. So climate scientist models now show that even if the United States cuts its carbon dioxide emissions to zero, it would only avert global warming by a few tenths of a degree Celsius in 80 years. Yeah, yep, that's right. Uh, The climate models used by the climate scientists to show that the world is in climate crisis now also show that if the United States cut its carbon emissions to zero, we would see uh, an improvement of a few tenths of a degree Celsius in 80 years. 
Yeah, yeah, this is, again, is why so much of the, the climate agenda is pushed by people who used to be communists until the Soviet Union fell apart and could no longer subsidize them, so they hopped into the environmental movement. Uh, green on the outside, red in the middle. Now, let's go back to the phones here. Yeah, I can get another phone call in before break. Uh, Dale and Marietta, you're next. Welcome. Yeah, this whole thing with AOC and uh, uh, the young uh, five Democrats or whatever— they seem to have no concept of legacy. With their logic, two years from now, somebody's going to come along and say that absolutely everything that AOC ever stood for needs to go in the trash can, and we're going to come up with a whole new plan that's going to go in some other weird direction. And, you know, nobody, at least that I hear of, is talking about something like that. What's your thoughts? Oh, listen, I, I, I think, and Jonah Goldberg from, used to be with National Review, had his great book, Liberal Fascism, and he points out that progressives have no sense of history. Uh, history for them began yesterday, and the reason is because conservatism is built on a historic foundation that uh, we should be slow to, it's not that we, we shouldn't change, it's that we should be slow to change because the people who came before us made certain decisions because they found out historically those decisions worked, and they rejected other, other decisions including socialism, because they found they didn't work. And and progressives have no sense of history. They need no sense of history because they think their ideas work. And if the ideas don't work, well, it's the people's fault, not the idea's fault. And so they're not wedded to any history. They have no sense of legacy. They don't want a legacy. And we see this with communist regimes around the world. They may put up a picture of Lenin or Mao, depending on where they are, but they really have no no historic ties to them. Uh, because they're in perpetual revolution, and perpetual revolution means you hang on to nothing. They, too, will be eventually swept up in the revolution. Uh, I want to go back to the phones to Steve in Riverdale. Welcome, Steve. How are you? Hey, Eric. How you doing? Good. What's going on? So I opened up the AJC this morning, and I was kind of interested in the uh, article about the speed cameras. Well, as I started getting down through the article, okay, Mr. Ralston kind of pushed this through. Well, guess as they pushed it through, guess who the lobbyist was with the speed camera company? It was mm -hmm. his son. Mm -hmm. And that, this, this is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, this is taxation without representation. You're a lawyer. You can understand that, right? Yep. Listen, I, I'm yeah. The the speed camera law. I really think that the governor and the lieutenant governor should take a very strident anti speed camera approach, particularly because of the crony capitalist angle. For now, for those of you who don't know, uh, David Ralston, the speaker of the house, his son is the lobbyist that was able to get a speed camera legislation passed in Georgia. They had blocked the legislation repeatedly, but he was able to slip it through at the very last minute two years ago uh, on, on a piece of legislation that allows school bus drivers to have cameras and document people who pass school bus school buses while they're stopped picking up kids. Uh, and they say it's just going to be in school zones. Well, you and I both know that now that the door is open, and they were successfully able to do it once. They're going to try to, again, I, I firmly believe that the governor and the lieutenant governor and the Republicans, if they want to take on a good populist thing that'll be popular, is they need to outlaw speed cameras. I'll tell you something else that I think they ought to do. 
get rid of traffic light cameras. I'm I'm kidding, and I'm not kidding. I, I I'm I'm genuinely serious. Get rid of traffic light cameras. Did you know there have now been multiple comprehensive studies done around the country that local municipalities always, without fail, reduce the time of a yellow light once speed light cameras or once uh, stoplight cameras are installed. They always and without fail do it. And in states where it is prohibited, there are some states that have prohibited reducing the time of a yellow light. They accidentally reduce the time of the yellow light. It's always accidental. Oops, they, they, they were just fixing something and, and that happened. Y'all, our state legislature should be prohibiting speed cameras and should be prohibiting stoplight cameras. It is a tyranny of the government, and it's done for taxation. It is it is not done in one little bit for safety. It is done for revenue purposes, and they should ban them. They should pass a law and ban them and push this back. And it was cronyism at its finest that David Ralston's son was able to use his dad to get this through at the very last minute in the legislature. Pitiful. It should be undone. Good evening. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800-WSB-TALK. Let me talk real quick about uh, the charity of the month, the nonprofit of the month. Last month we were doing Help the Persecuted, and I haven't mentioned one this month, and I've got a lot of emails from people saying, hey, uh, you just suddenly abandoned this? No, I got to thinking about it. Uh, we have the Carathon coming up uh, for Children's Health Care of Atlanta at the end of the month. And I don't want to detract from, take away from, or overshadow the Carathon because uh, I care about the Carathon and I hope you will too. And I don't want you to say, hey, I'm going to support this nonprofit that Eric recommended. And then when the Carathon comes around, say, ah, I've already given at the office. Uh, no, 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 no. I want you to save your pennies now. Start saving now. The Carathon's in a couple of weeks. We want you to participate. I want you to participate. I happen to know, I happen to know that one of the the opportunities will yet again be your right to drink from my bourbon collection. So save save your money. This is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for you to help. Uh, it's coming up in a few weeks. Uh, we want you to participate. We want everyone in Georgia to participate. So, so just please hang on. Next month, we'll go back. We'll have another nonprofit. But this month, we want to focus on the Carathon. I want to focus on the Carathon. Even got my daughter involved in it. Now, we have other news. We need to talk about the trend lines. Can I tell you we have an official winner of the Democratic debates? We do now. We actually know uh, through scientifically accurate polling, we know which of the candidates won the Democratic debate. His name is Donald J. Trump. I know I am not making this up, y'all. Uh, I'm, I'm not making it up. The data is super compelling that the president's job approval numbers and public support shot up uh, five to six points after the Democratic debates. It is very clear. You don't have to believe me in this. Believe the head of Emerson polling. The head of Emerson polling has come out with their new poll. It shows the exact same trend lines as ABC News's poll. 
This is from um, Emerson Polling. Uh, their political director, Spencer Kimball. It looks like Trump was a winner from the Democratic debate. His head-to-heads tightened by five points. He's now leading Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, and Kamala Harris. He was poly- He was behind them last time. Bernie Sanders is ahead 51-49, Biden 53-47, according to Emerson Polling. Now, this comes on the heels of the ABC News poll that has the president's uh, job approval ratings at an all-time high. But I, I got to tell you, I, I want to read from you. I, I, I gave you the honest breakdown yesterday. It is amazing to me. It is striking to me. It is impressive to me how ABC News struggles to downplay their own polling Let me read to you the first two paragraphs of the ABC News report on their own poll. Bolstered by a strong economy, Donald Trump reached the highest job approval rating of his career in the latest ABC News Washington Post poll and runs competitively for re-election against four of five possible Democratic contenders. Yet he remains broadly unpopular across personal and professional measures, marking his vulnerabilities in the 2020 election. 44% of Americans approve of Trump's overall job performance, up a slight five percentage points from April and two points better than his peak early in his presidency. Still, a 53% disapproval rating keeps him at majority disapproval continuously for his first two and a half years in office. Got that 44%. You know what the real number is? It's over 47%. See, ABC News is focusing on all Americans, not on registered voters. And registered voters count more than all Americans because all Americans don't vote. Registered voters, some of them do. Uh, And he's at 47%, which is also a record high for the president among registered voters. Among likely voters, he's roughly at 50%. Now, this is relevant because, again, let me read you another paragraph from this on how badly they're downplaying this. Another question in the poll, this again, me reading from ABC News, another question tests Trump against a Democratic candidate who you regard as a socialist, relevant given the Republican stated aim of applying that label to their eventual opponent. Among the general public, the race is tied among Trump versus a perceived socialist. Among registered voters, this is the only time they bring up registered voters. Among registered voters, it goes up six points to Trump, 49 to 43. But wait, they add, quote, not a statistical difference. (laughs) Now, I I just, I got to note that, yeah, okay, statistically, given margins of errors in polling, uh, 49-43, Trump versus a perceived socialist is, is, you could say, a tie. You could say the other guy, maybe 49-43. That's how statistics work. But that's not really how anyone reads the polling, including the pollsters. And what's so crazy here is just how much ABC News is at pains to not make their average reader upset. 49-43, according to them, not a statistical difference. Never mind, it's a six-point lead for the president. This is actually really good for the president. It shows that um, voters don't want to go far left. He still performs worse against Joe Biden. But against uh, most of the Democrats, I mean, Elizabeth Warren, he's he's tied. Pete Buttigieg, he's tied. Uh, a socialist, he's up six points. Uh, Bernie Sanders, he's tied. Kamala Harris, he, he's down two, according to that. Uh, Joe Biden, down 10. Uh, basically, if you follow along with Emerson Poling and, and the various trend lines, 
the president's in a really good spot for re-election. You, you know how I know he's in a really good spot for re-election? Ponder this for a second. Meditate. Wonder. How do I know the president is in a good spot for re-election? Hmm. Maybe it's because his job approval rating is the same as Barack Obama's at the exact same time in Barack Obama's presidency. Yeah, not making that up. The president's popularity rating right now, same as Barack Obama's the week after the 4th of July in 2011. Yeah, yeah, it is. And not only that, you know, there's there's something else. He has a better economy. Are we allowed to say that? I know the Democrats want, want to talk this down. But, I mean, this is something Democrats are going to have to contend with. They they The economy is better now. Hispanic employment is basically at full employment. Black employment, basically full employment. White employment, basically full employment. Inflation's okay. Employment is great. The job numbers are good. The stock market's doing good. And the president is at the same job approval rating as Barack Obama. Now, there is a difference. He is Donald Trump, not Barack Obama. Let's be fair about this. Donald Trump could open his mouth tomorrow and sabotage himself in a way Barack Obama never would. That That is totally fair. But Democrats don't have a sure thing. You know, I, I went through 2016 thinking there's no way that Donald Trump can win. And the miscalculation was that Hillary Clinton really was a terrible candidate, and she didn't campaign in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Iowa, or Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan, and she lost those three states. She didn't campaign in them, and she lost those three states. And the Democrats aren't going to make that mistake again. They're going to campaign in those states. But, 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 as the Democrats continue to drift to the left and do so at a rapid pace, it's increasingly clear If the Democrats campaign in those states, it may hurt them more than if they didn't campaign in those states. Americans really don't like, even though we're now arguably genuinely a center-left nation. We are, and I think conservatives, myself included, need to accept we live in a center-left nation, not a center-right nation at this point. But even so, those center-left people who make up the majority of people in this country, they don't want to go as far left as the Democrats want to go at this point. And that's actually really good news for the president. It's Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News. Let's go back to the phones, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Tanner and Hushton, you are up next. Welcome. Hey, how are you, Eric? Good, how are you? I'm doing great. Um, I just wanted to comment on, um, I was listening to your discussion about, you know, uh, red light cameras and, um, yeah, red light cameras and and speed light, speed cameras. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when you, when you're saying speed cameras, are you referring, what, what exactly are you referring to? Oh, the, the, the things that they have all over Washington DC. Now they have essentially a, a radar gun, a, a laser speed detector attached to a license plate reading camera. And it matches your license plate, uh, shows how fast you're going and they mail you a ticket. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, they've got them all oh, over wow. Washington, D.C. now. And interestingly enough, they only send them to people who don't live in Washington, D.C. Huh. Yeah, and they're now, they're spreading across the states. Now, now were you—I I, want to—you were talking about the 
the bus. You're talking about the stop sign cameras as well. Am, am I right? Yeah, the, the 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 red light cameras. Yeah. Okay. Now the red light cameras are besides the whole the whole like the yellow light is starting to it's give or take whether they mess with it or not the the yellow light slows down a little bit. I mean, sure it's for revenue, but I mean. Personally, I think in a safety sense, it makes sense. And and with with the with the school bus cameras and everything, personally, I I think that's that's kind of a, a way. It might it may be for for government revenue. It it may be an example of they're just using it for profit. But um, I feel like not stopping it for a school bus to me personally is a big deal. Oh, listen, I, I got a sister who drives a school bus, and and I'm okay with a law that says that the school bus drivers can report people. I, I'm totally okay with school bus drivers being able to do this. The problem is you, they want to open the door further, and this legislation keeps coming up to the legislature to open the door further and say, well, this is this is about the children. It's always about the children. Now, now we, got it, we got them on the school bus, so now we, we need them in the school zones. Well, now we need them in areas around schools. Well, now we need them by all the crosswalks because it's always for the children. Yeah, it's always for the children. The big government nanny state always comes for you, mass behind the children. Listen, I don't disagree on the school bus one. Uh, I have witnessed people passing school buses while the school buses are trying to load kids. My sister drives a school bus. Uh, I am totally okay with school bus drivers being able to report people who pass them. And in Georgia, unlike some states, you actually have a camera on the bus so you can get the license plate. But I have a real problem with the expansion of it. And, and the, the red light cameras, huge problem with the nanny statism. Absolutely with the children. Let's do it for the children. It is Eric Erickson here on Atlanta's Evening News. Now, uh, I want to talk to Calvin in Doraville. Welcome to the program. Calvin? Calvin? Well, Calvin's not there, so let's go to Travis <laughs> in Fayetteville. How are you? Hey, Eric. I'm good. Yourself? Doing well. Hey, uh, the reason I called is uh, I wanted to piggyback off something you said yesterday and then said another way today. Mm -hmm. uh, yesterday on the show, you had said that um, Americans increasingly are socially conservative but favor larger government. And then today you had said that America is shifting to become what you what you consider a center-left country. Is that correct? No, not exactly. Uh, the largest group served and underserved in this country are people who are socially conservative and fiscally liberal. Um, but I do think, sure. I mean, that the polling does tend to show that the nation is more center-left than I would like it to be. Well, uh, what I was calling about was, in, in that regard, I mean, I'm an irredeemable, deplorable, bitter clinger scumbag from the Midwest who only kind of goes to church. Um, and uh, I think I have authority to speak on this. But what we're seeing and what I grew up with is there's people who actually don't favor big government and are socially conservative, but they feel like since we can't get rid of this big nanny state, then the benefits might as well flow to the people who provide them and earn them. Yeah, I mean, that, that um, is essentially uh, the Trump's campaign, right? the president's campaign right there. Yeah, I mean, that's that's why you see the tariffs and so many people actually support them and, and why you see um, so many folks saying, well, OK, if we're going to have welfare, then let's limit it to people who are citizens. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah I, I think that's fair. And, and you know, so I, I do think that while the nation tends to be slightly center left these days, and, and I'm not talking voters per se, uh, I think the voter pool, there's still a, a significant portion, particularly when you take Hispanic and black voters being so socially conservative, you, you've got a plurality there who I think would be center right. But overall, when you take all Americans, uh, where, where does public policy positioning lie? I think it's a center left nation particularly as younger voters are coming into the voter pool, they tend to be a little more socially liberal. Again, though, I still think, and this is why I think Justin Amash in his analysis of the nation is wrong. I very much like and respect him. And I'm glad we have people like that, a principal in Congress, even if you don't like him because he doesn't support the, the president, just admit that you wish there were people in Congress who had had the courage of their convictions. Because, you know, I mean, he is right. A lot of the people in Congress are behind the scenes. They say horrible things about the president in public. Oh, he's my best friend. I love this guy. I'm going to stand up for him. And behind the scenes, they're undermining him all the time. He is, Justin Amash is behind the scenes exactly what he's in public. And we need more of that. But he seems to think that there is a natural constituency for a libertarian-style government that is, is socially neutral at best, if not socially liberal, and then fiscally conservative. And I actually think when you combine the the social conservatism of black voters, Hispanic voters, and evangelical Christians, put them together, you have a winning coalition of people who they're okay with bigger government, but they're not okay with the progressive drift of the Democratic Party. And it's hard to rectify the two, but you got to remember that by and large— uh, there are a lot of people who don't vote in this country, even though they're adults, and these people are socially liberal people. And as a whole, they certainly shape culture just as culture shapes them and creates a terrible feedback loop for the rest of us. And, you know, besides, I, I mean, I'm an evangelical Christian. I'm an amillennialist. I think this whole place is going to burn one day. It's just going to be a long time off. Uh, come quickly, Lord Jesus, with all the stuff happening these days. But that's a t discussion for another day. Now, let's try Calvin again. Calvin in Doraville, welcome. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. All right. Sorry, the mute button somehow was activated. Ah, but, not a problem. Um, yes. Um, I really was not going to do anything about the David Rawson thing because Billy Mitchell is our representative and he's a Democrat. But I decided to call anyway after what you said last week. And basically, he got back to me. I give him credit for that. And he was saying that Rawson pretty much controls all the committees, and the resolution wouldn't really do anything. So even if everything passes, he has to sign off for it, and it's going to be celebratory. So the best thing to do is, like, um, pull his uh, bar credentials or vote him out. But what do you think about it? Well, I understand why they see that. But, you know, I'm increasingly of a mind the Republicans have a 15-member majority. You get... 16 Republicans to sign on this resolution. You're already at 10, so you need six more. And essentially pledge to to derail uh, Ralston's agenda in the House unless he leaves, then they have clout. They have serious clout. And if you have a majority of the House of Representatives sign on to this resolution, the Speaker doesn't have a majority to support him. And that, by default, makes the speaker have to leave if he doesn't have a majority of the house representatives supporting him then he's got to leave and as for going after his bar credentials he didn't do anything wrong as a lawyer this is this is part of the 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 frustration with how the story is, is being told by so many people as a lawyer his obligation is to zealously defend his clients 
And one of the, yeah. the tools that the Speaker of the House can use that no one else can use is to indefinitely delay cases. He can do that as Speaker. And if his job as a lawyer is to indefinitely, is to zealously represent his client, he's not doing anything wrong by delaying cases and dragging them out forever. He's just using one of the tools that's within his power to, to, to do. This is about him as Speaker of the House. Do you want a Speaker of the House of Representatives in Georgia who uses his clout and position as Speaker to benefit criminal defendants in terrible cases? Do, do, do you want that? And I suspect the answer is no, you don't. And the way to get rid of him is to make your state representatives say this is unacceptable. And you got to target the Republicans. You at least need to target enough Republicans to say he's not my guy. So then it forces the ball into the Democrats' court. This is why Republicans in Georgia are kind of dumb. I mean, if, if we're honest about it, the Republicans in the state legislature, they are not brilliant strategic thinkers by and large. You want this ball to be in the Democrats' court because you know they're going to weaponize it next year. So the way you do that is you get enough Republicans to come out and say, nope, nope, not our guy. We want him gone. And then it forces the Democrats to act. And when the Democrats refuse, because Ralston's been very good at letting Democrat legislation pass, it's one of the untold stories of this past session. He punished conservatives routinely, but he let a lot of Democrats' legislation pass so they can go back and claim credit for things that a Republican speaker shouldn't let them claim credit for. And so he, he the Democrats did this, and Ralston let them so that he would have them in their camp. So now you get enough Republicans together to say, you know what, he's not our guy. We don't want him anymore. Then you got to pass the microphone to the Democrats and say, well, why are you guys protecting him? Because there are enough Republicans with you guys now to boot him out. So why, Democrats, why aren't you helping? And suddenly that neutralizes the issue in 2020, and they can't weaponize the issue because they themselves will be responsible for propping up David Ralston. Okay, do you want your cool story of the day? This actually is a really cool story. Um, I, I want to read from, this is not, this is, in no way is this theological, but I do have to read from a, a vo- very short snippet of the Bible real quick uh, from Second Kings 22. Um, he broke down the gateway at the entrance of the gates of Joshua, the city governor, which was on the left of the city gates. Although the priests of the high places did not serve at the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, they ate unleavened bread with their fellow priests. He desecrated Tophet, which was in the valley of Ben-Hinnon, so no one could use it to sacrifice their sons or daughters in the fire of Molech. He removed from the entrance to the temple of the Lord the horses that the king of Judah had dedicated to the sun. They were in the court near the room of an official named Nathan Melech. Josiah then burned the chariots dedicated to the sun. Uh, This is a passage from 2 Kings 23 about the reforms of King Josiah who forever had been considered a, a one of the many mythic kings of Israel. A lot of people say that the whole line of David and whatnot um, were just a, a post-exile story. And, and there's this throwaway line about the official named Nathan Melek. Well, archaeologists have found the seal of Nathan Melek, servant of King Josiah. Yep, they found it. Uh, they have revealed it today. Just fascinating, fascinating discovery from a throwaway line in the Bible.